In this final session, we're gonna look at what it's like for the Holy Spirit to pour Himself out in great power on an entire group of people. One of the most effective and powerful sermons ever preached was only eight words long, and it was preached by a hypocrite. It's found in the book of Jonah. Jonah was not a very likely prophet to see a lot of response to his sermons. He didn't like the people he was preaching to. He had an attitude problem. The people that he was preaching to were not likely people for conversion or spiritual awakening. They were from an entirely different religion. They were cruel. They were very hardened in their sin. Yet Jonah's eight word sermon caused the entire city to repent. Jonah says down to the cows who mourned out their repentance. What was it that made Jonah's words so powerful? Well, it's because the Spirit of God came upon His words and the Spirit of God had been preparing the people of Nineveh to repent and God anointed Jonah's words, even though Jonah wasn't worthy of it, He was anointed Jonah's words in great power so that it caused this huge repentance. When the Holy Spirit comes on a church, He does more in an afternoon than churches through normal ministry can accomplish in years um, on their own. In Psalm 126, the psalmist talks about two different ways that God grows His church. Um, it talks about those who sow in tears, reaping in joy. Uh, what he, the image he's giving there is what I would call the normal way of evangelism. Um, imagine a ground so dry and dusty that the only way to get something to grow in it is you plant seeds individually and then literally water them with your tears. I and mean, that would take a long time. And that's the normal ways that we reach other people for Christ. It takes a lot of prayer. It takes a lot of one-on-one -on -one discussion with people. And we, we sow the seed of the gospel and we water it with our tears. Um, there's another way, however, the psalmist points to in Psalm 126, and that is, he says, like streams in the Negev. The Negev was a de desert region in Israel that uh, hardly any vegetation grew in, um, when every once in a while there would be a, a, a massive rain that would lead to a flash flood, and when the flood receded, it would leave where there previously had been just barren ground. There would be all this luscious vegetation. What the writer is doing is saying that there are times when God opens up heaven and He just pours out such power like rain that He accomplishes more in the space of a few hours through this flood of grace than we could accomplish in, in 10,000 hours on our own. That's referred to as awakening. It's something that we in the church yearn for when the Spirit of God begins to pour Himself out. The question is, how do we receive that? What, what do we do? Well, I love the way the, the psalmist kind of presents it. He doesn't present it as you doing anything differently. The difference is in what God pours out on your efforts, the power he pours out through them. Tim Keller calls revival an intensification of the normal operations of the Holy Spirit. In other words, it's nothing brand new. It's not some new technique or some new thing that, that happens. It's just the normal things, repentance, worship, prayer. They just all become more intense. Prayers take on a, a, a special power. Repentance becomes very real to people. The, the sense and beauty of God's majesty becomes very, very real. Um, what are those normal operations? Let me give you three of them because these are the, the ways that you and I are to, to pursue God in the church and then look to heaven for God to open up and Psalm 126 pour out His power through them. Um, the first one is confession of sin. There is nothing that drives out the presence of the Spirit of God like willful, unconfessed sin in the church. 
If you look throughout biblical and church history at the times when the Holy Spirit is most poured out on an area or a group of people, it always came from the church getting really serious about their sin. Uh, one of the most famous examples comes from Korea in the early 20th century. Missionaries had been working there for many years and there were just a, a handful of believers, probably a couple hundred. Um, there was a, a famous prayer meeting that took place on a Friday night where uh, many of the Korean believers were together and it was supposed to last about an hour and a half and in the middle of the prayer meeting, one of the Korean church leaders, a, a guy named Mr. Kang stood up and he said, before we go on, the Holy Spirit is, is burdening my heart with something that I've got to say. He said, for years I have harbored an intense hatred for, and he pointed to another missionary, Mr. Lee, and said, I've harbored a hatred for him. He said, I know that grieves the Spirit of God and, and I just gotta confess that I need forgiveness and I need people to pray for me. And people began to pray for him and, and observers say that a hushed awe came over the room and multiple believers began to get convicted about their sin and what was supposed to only last an hour and a half went until the wee hours of the next morning. This sparked a, a national awakening in a Buddhist country, a national awakening to the gospel. Um, in one, the space of one year, 50,000 new people had confessed faith in Christ in a country where up until this point, there'd only been a couple of hundred. At the local college campus in Pyongyang, which this is before North and South Korea had separated, 90% of the student body came to faith in Christ, 90%. It all went back to a group of Christians getting serious about their sin and the places they were grieving the Holy Spirit. You see, we always tend to think that the reason that people are not coming to the gospel has to do with the conditions out there. It has to do with the hardness of their hearts. It has to do with, oh, they're too cynical and unbelieving and Hollywood's bad, media's bad, and our politicians are bad. The Bible never looks out there as the source of the problem for why the Holy Spirit is not pouring out on a city, a nation, a family, a community. It looks to God's people and says, it's because you tolerate sin. It's because you were doing things that grieve me that keeps my spirit from flowing in and through my church. The second normal operation of the Holy Spirit is to remember the gospel. If you go back and study the times of Israel's spiritual decline, you'll find that it was always characterized by a, a spiritual forgetting, is how I've heard it said. If you look back at each of the times when they fell away from God, it'll say something like, Israel forgot God's grace, or Israel no longer remembered the great things God had done for them in the past. Well, the awakening came when they remembered the salvation that God had brought to them. Well, in the same way, that's how God brings awakening to Christians is that they remember the grace of the gospel. Second Peter 1.9 is a great example of this. Peter said, if you're not growing in the Christian life and, you're not, and if you're not thriving, it's because you no longer remember that you have been cleansed from your first sins. By that, he doesn't mean that you don't know it happened. It's that it's no longer real to you. It's no longer felt. We need to remember the gospel to get in touch with how great the grace is that God showed to us. Behold, what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. We need to refeel the beauties of the gospel because that leads to awakening. The deeper we go in the gospel, the more alive we become in the spirit. The third thing is we pray. Jesus said in Luke eleven thirteen that that the heavenly Father would surely give the Holy Spirit to all who asked in faith. Jonathan Edwards, who led in the, the first Great Awakening here in our country, um, said that, that prayer was the core of the Great Awakening. He said, apart from prayer, there is no awakening. In fact, he, he actually said, prayer doesn't bring the awakening, prayer is the awakening. J.O. Frazier, who was a missionary to China, and by the way, the church has grown faster in China in the last hundred years than it has at any place at any point in Christian history, period. Um, J.O. Frazier said, I used to think that for awakening, prayer should have the first place and teaching the second. 
He said, now having seen the way that God has brought this awakening in China, I would say that prayer has the first place, prayer has the second place, prayer has the third place, and teaching should have the fourth. It is prayer that lays hold of the willingness of God to pour out his power on the people. Even look in the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit was poured out in Acts 2, what was the early church doing? Well, it says that they'd been praying. Jesus had told them to wait for the Holy Spirit, and it says they went in a room by themselves and they prayed. They prayed for 10 days. The Holy Spirit falls in Acts 2, and Peter preaches for 10 minutes, and it says that 3,000 people got saved. Nowadays, we pray for 10 minutes. The pastor preaches for 10 days, and three people get saved. It's because the zeros are all in the wrong places. Jesus said in Luke 11:13, 13, which of you fathers, if you have a son who asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? I mean, you think about that. Uh, 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 your kid comes to you and says, hey, can I have a chicken nugget? And you're like, no chicken nuggets, but here's a scorpion. No father would do that. Your heavenly father, why would he, the perfect heavenly father, withhold the Holy Spirit when you ask him? He knows how desperately you need him. God is willing to pour out the Holy Spirit. The problem is not out there in the world. The problem is with the people of God that we're just not serious about believing his promises. It's asking in faith and asking repeatedly. Just a couple of verses before Luke 11, 11, Jesus had said that if we ask, we will receive. If we seek, we'll find. If we'll knock, the door will be open. The verbs there imply a continual action. It's like knocking. If you're knocking on somebody's door, you don't just hit it one time and then walk away. You hit it repeatedly. Um, the same thing with prayer. You ask and you ask and you keep asking until God gives the Holy Spirit just like he promised. In the times in, in, in my life or the groups that I've been a part of where I've seen an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, it's amazing how closely they conform to those three things, confession of sin, going deeper in the gospel, and then just intense prayer. One was when I was in college. I was part of a, a small Bible study that had grown to several dozen people. And there was a guy that came one evening and he talked about how sin grieved the presence of God wasn't overly eloquent, wasn't even that long. He just basically looked at us and said, I think the Holy Spirit wants to do more on this campus. He said, but I, I wonder if some of you are getting in the way. He then asked the group of 60 or 70 people there if anybody had anything to say. I was the leader of the Bible study and I thought, okay, this is the awkward 30 seconds where nobody says anything and then I get up and close in prayer. And I was literally probably two seconds from standing up when our worship leader stood up in the back I could see from where I was that he was trembling. And he said, I've got something to say. He said, I feel like I'm the reason the Holy Spirit can't move more on this campus. He said, my actions grieve the Holy Spirit. He said, I have jealousy in my heart. He said, I talk about many of you behind your back. He said, I know that grieves the Spirit of God because I'm not living in the love that he has for me. And I need you to pray for me and I need you to forgive me. And people began to pray for him. It's hard to describe what happened next. It was like the Holy Spirit reached down with his hand and began to get a hold of individual hearts in the room, including mine. When he said that, it was like something gripped my chest and I knew that the Holy Spirit was saying, it's you, it's your pride. I stood up and I said, you know, I'm more concerned about my name being exalted on this campus than I am God's name. And I know that is deeply grieving to the Holy Spirit and I need your forgiveness and I need you to pray for me. One by one, people began to, to stand up and just like what happened in Korea, what was supposed to last for about an hour to an hour and a half stretched on till two or three in the morning. I remember there were some students who stood up and said, we've got things in our, in our dorm room, pornography, other things that grieve the spirit of God and we need to get rid of them tonight. That night marked this point where the Holy Spirit began to pour through that ministry on campus. Uh, we began to pray. We began to pray every Sunday night and pray um, for long periods of time saying, God, would you pour out your power? 
Um, we saw scores of people that year come to faith in Christ. It's one of the most powerful movements I've ever been a part of. Here's the question that I would challenge you in your church, in your group. Does the Holy Spirit want to do more? And what if the reason that he wasn't doing more than he is had to do with your heart? What if there were unconfessed sin? What if there were things that were grieving him that you're just not acknowledging, things you're holding against brothers and sisters in Christ that, that you need to, to, to put out there and say, God, I need your help on this. What if the reason he wasn't working more in your family or community had nothing to do with the hardness of their hearts and had to do with the, the sin and the unbelief that, that's in ours? You see, now we've spent eight sessions talking about what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but we come back to these things, these core things, is we got to treat our sin very seriously. And we got to surrender fully to the Holy Spirit and say, have your way in me. Where you want to go, I'll go. What you want to do, I'll, I'll, I'll do. We, we've got to remember and go deep in the gospel so that the deeper we go in the love of Christ, the more His Spirit floods our hearts. And we've got to pray and believe the promises of God that He's willing to pour out His power just like He said He would. It has been such a privilege to spend these last eight sessions with you. I think if we had any anticipation of what God wanted to do through His Holy Spirit pouring it out in the church, we would realize that this is a time that God has re-elevated our attention to the Holy Spirit because of what He wants to do in the world. Tom Elliff, who is the former president of the International Mission Board, said to me one time, he said, you know, about every 30 years, evangelicals have a conversation about the Holy Spirit. He said, every time they have one, it leads to a revival. He said the last great conversation we had was in the 1970s and it led to the Jesus movement. Then he said, it's desperately time that we have another one. I hope that these sessions have helped start that discussion in your groups, um, in your homes. And I hope that the result that we see is an awakening that comes not only to our families and our churches, but to our nation and to our world.